Welcome to See You on the Other Side, where the world of the mysterious collides with the world of entertainment. A discussion of art, music, movies, spirituality, the weird, and self-discovery. And now, your hosts, musicians and entertainers who have their own weakness for the weird, Mike and Wendy from the band Sunspot. You know what we haven't talked about in a while, Wendy? What's that? UFOs. Huh. Actually, yeah, good point. It has been quite a while since we talked to UFOs. Yeah, I mean, we've talked a lot about ghosts, obviously. We've talked to people who communicate with the dead. Yeah. We talked to a woman who hangs out with Jesus. We talked about TV shows and stuff like that, but we haven't just gone straight in to UFOs. Uh, I think the last one we did was the uh, the Phoenix Lights in March. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, that was a while yeah. ago. And, uh, well, that was the, the, we talked about it as being the the largest mass sighting of UFOs in history. You know, I think of that experience as a very traditional UFO experience. Okay? Okay. And not traditional in the way of, like, hey, it happens to people all the time, you know. Regularly. Yeah, but traditional (laughs) in the way of people saw strange lights in the sky. Like a true unidentified flying object. Yes. And that's a traditional one. Um, Today we're going to be diving into more non-traditional UFO settings, I think. Ooh, okay. So, actually, it's been a couple of years now. I can't believe yeah, it has been a couple of years. We had Robbie Graham, uh, an, an Englishman, on the show to talk about his book, Silver Screen Saucers. Yes. Very interesting interview. Yeah, it was a very interesting interview. And... Uh, Robbie, like I'm Facebook friends with now, I, I, I pay attention to what he's doing and stuff. And so he just released a new book that he edited called UFOs Reframing the Debate. Okay? Okay. And in UFOs Reframing the Debate, uh, he collects essays from a whole bunch of different experts in the field. Okay. Okay. And, and some of these are people that have been on the show, our show. Uh, Joshua Cutchin, the man who's into paranormal smells. Ah, yes. Yes. Also, a tuba player, which that paranormal smells and tuba player. I think that I think they go hand <laughs> hand in hand. Uh, um, so Josh Cutchin, who's been on the show, uh, writes an article. Ryan Sprague, oh uh, yes, from the Somewhere in the Skies podcast. He wrote an article. Micah Hanks. Also, who we oh, yeah. hung out with at the Paradigm Symposium in Minneapolis. Um, yes. he, he wrote a cool article, too. Micah Hanks, the man who dresses like a different Doctor Who every day. Yeah, sharp dresser. Sharp dresser. I appreciate that. So it, it's all these really great writers in the field. People who know a lot about the subject, experts. And the reason he calls it reframing the debate, and he's going to get into this in the interview, okay? The reason they call it reframing the debate is... The idea that ufology has kind of become stuck in a rut. Mm, okay. We're kind of going over the same thing over and over again. It's all like Area 51, and the government knows stuff, and they're not telling us. And it's all trapped in a certain way that I think like the newest stuff in ufology came out in the 1990s. You know, yeah. have we had any, you know, massive leaps forward since then, at least in the, in the consciousness of it? I, I don't think so. So, uh, Robbie wanted to blow it all up. And all right, I like this already. Yes, and I've read the entire book now. And uh, first of all, I think it's a tremendous effort 
I really do think it's a tremendous effort. But, you know, there's parts of the book, and we talk about this in the interview, there's parts of the book that I completely agree with, there's parts of the book that I find infuriating, there's parts of the book that I'm reading, and I'm like, what pompous windbag wrote this? And then there's... (laughs) And there's other ones uh, that you, it's, you feel the whole gamut of things. And, and that's what Robbie wants you to do. And so he brought along a friend, one of the authors that penned an essay for his book, Mike Cleland. And um, we didn't get to this in the interview, and we'll get to this right after. Some of the stuff that Mike Cleland talks about is completely appropriate to our conversation about Twin Peaks just a couple of weeks ago. Ooh, so, All right. Bringing it in. Let's listen to the interview, and we'll talk about a little of that. Um, Allison from Milwaukee Ghost join us, and we talk, hey. we talk with blogger Mike Cleland and uh, the always awesome UFO author, Robbie Graham. I'm here with my sister and fellow lover of weirdness, Allison Jornlin. Hi, Allison. Hey, Mike. I'm excited about today's show. Me too, because number one, we're bringing back one of our favorite authors. Uh, We've had him on the show before for his book, Silver Screen Saucers, and he's edited a new book called UFOs, Reframing the Debate, and we're welcoming back Robbie Graham. Hey, how's it going? Thanks for having me back. Fantastic. All the way from the UK coming to talk to us. And this time, Robbie brought friends. He brought author and blogger Mike Cleland with him. And how you doing today, Mike? Very well. Thank you for having me on. Awesome. So uh, we're all in different cities right now. I'm in Madison, Wisconsin. Allison, where are you at? Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Robbie, where are you at? I'm in Surrey, England. And Mike C., where are you at? I am in uh, Saranac Lake, New York. All right. Awesome. So um, all corners, you know, represent <laughs> today, right. which is fun. Milwaukee is and- an essential corner. I, I'm especially <laughs> really, really excited today because uh, this this uh, year, well, actually 2016, um, September 2016, I, I had my own UFO sighting. And that was really something I didn't expect to happen. It wasn't the mothership or anything like that, but um, it's something that... When, when it happens to you, uh, it gives you a different perspective on the whole experience. Well, you've had your own uh, debate reframed then, Allison. Yeah, and, absolutely. And, and so now we're, so uh, the thing is about the book is it's, it's written by a whole bunch of different UFO superstars, including Mike. And Robbie put it together and edited everything and all these different perspectives on uh, ufology. Oh, I love saying it, ufology. And like that. So, uh, Robbie, what I'm interested in is what inspired you to get this book out in the first place? Yeah. Okay, well, it arose out of um, my frustration and then um, uh, collectively the contributors' frustration that what we call ufology or what uh, what the field calls ufology is actually broken and was never really fully assembled in the first place. And we wanted to put together a book that would um, expose many of the problems that have long faced the UFO study field and then crucially try to provide remedies and solutions to some of these problems so that we can move forward on a, on a clearer path. So that was really the inspiration and, and it's uh, the result of, I think, probably years, even decades of pent-up frustration uh, on the part of the collective contributors, really. And I just sort of, uh, I guess I didn't have anything better to do last year. So I just thought, well, I'll do it. From both you guys now, I'm kind of interested in, um, why do you think that the debate, we say, even just taking the title for its 
for what it is, reframing the debate. Why does it need to change? Why, you know, what was the old way we were thinking of it? And why do we need to relook at it? Like, what, what was the problems with the old model that we need to reframe it? Um, well, I, I think what there are varying perspectives on what actually constitutes popular ufology in the first place. But I think we can take our cue from the best-selling books on the subject, for example, on Amazon and some of the most popularly attended conferences in the United States. And if you look at those um, as markers for what constitutes popular ufology, then it is dominated by a very simplistic approach to what would appear to be a very complex and multifaceted phenomenon. Um, So what popular ufology does is it reduces the UFO enigma to the question of extraterrestrial visitation almost exclusively. And it posits that UFOs, uh, for the most part, are representative of extraterrestrial intelligences visiting us from other planetary bodies in, in extrasolar systems. And that the government, or the US government and various other governments, have full knowledge of this. And moreover, that they actually have hands-on access to recovered alien technologies. They've back-engineered this technology um, and that in black vaults somewhere beneath the US US National National Security State uh, lies the full uh, wondrous or terrifying truth about the UFO phenomenon. And all we have to do is to occasionally nudge the US government through online petitions to the White House or the occasional public protest or Facebook rants. (laughs) And ultimately, in time, through our passive spectatorship and nothing more, the full truth of the UFO phenomenon will come spilling out of the US government um, or or, another government somewhere in the world. Um, So so it's it's quite, it's become uh, this this exopolitical model UFO ufology has become exopolitics um, in the in the post nine eleven world, and it it just reduces it into a very simplistic narrative, which seems to actually ignore or omit and sometimes censor or sideline a lot of the very 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 strange aspects which underpin a great many close encounter. UFO reports, not even close encounter, not even just close encounter reports, but all manner of UFO sighting reports, um, are characterised by what we term high strangeness aspects. And a lot of these, we can get into this, and Mike can talk about some of these as well in more detail than I can. But these exam- examples of these high strangeness events pepper the book that, that we're talking about, and um, and they pepper the literature. They are everywhere, um, but. A lot of UFO investigators, well, first of all, in the first instance, someone might see a UFO, for example, say a fairly close-up sighting or whatever, and they will experience potentially some form of psychic um, communication or what they might interpret as psychic um, communication, some kind of psi experience. Um, Perhaps a week or two later, or even six months later or a year later, they'll start to notice that they have poltergeist activity in their house, um, and they will start seeing strange, um, you know, almost cryptozoological entities, um, perhaps perhaps associated with other UFO sightings that they're having. And it's very, very strange. It doesn't seem to fit into a simplistic idea of aliens visiting us from other planets, because there are a lot of paranormal aspects that underlie a lot of these um, a lot of these phenomena and that doesn't fit well 
with the exopolitical model, which wants it to be very simple and disclosable. It wants it to have a very simple narrative that the government can say, these are aliens from Zeta Reticuli 2. Um, they back engineered the species. Everything can be re re reduced down to a nuts and bolts explanation. But a lot of the UFO enigma seems to be anything but nuts and bolts. I think real quick here, I was just going to interject because I, I know, Mike, we want to hear exactly, because I think reading your chapter is the first place that we kind of see what Robbie was talking about, high strangeness. And just kind of to summarize a little bit of that debate, when you think about the Area 51 reverse engineering X-Files style of alien uh the, the, the model of, of UFOs as the aliens and starting with Roswell, you know, Independence Day slash the X-Files and the CIA and Megadeth's Hangar 18 music video and stuff like that, putting it all together. It doesn't leave room for, I mean, that's a very physical model. That seems like something regular people can get their, their head around. Well, yes, we, we know it's a big universe and there's probably aliens on other planets and they visited and the government doesn't want to tell us because it's going to blow our little minds. And, and so I, I like that idea that that's a very 90s model. Like, a, like we're stuck in the Charlie Sheen arrival movie model of that and, and going to the high strangeness part. Allison, what do you want to say? Um, I just want to say that, so, you know, what I'm hearing is that, uh, you know, what what we've had up until this point is, is really the, um, what's sometimes called the extraterrestrial hypothesis, and we're seeing that that's a model that, that doesn't really encompass the phenomena, but instead, you know, tries to put it in a narrow box and the outliers are just excluded. That's what I'm hearing. So, so what is high strangeness? Give us some of that. Yeah, and, and I, I don't know that I've experienced high strangeness, so I'm interested in, in <laughs> what you guys think of it. Okay, so, I mean, I, this is like a bottomless pit. I mean, I've, that's what I've been researching. That's been sort of my avenue of study here, and it's kind of a bottomless pit in a way because even I have like a like a crazy line. You know, people will tell me stories and, and just like, you know, so, so recently I published a book a little over about a year and a half ago. I published a book. It has been uh, before then... Before publishing the book, most days of the week, I would get an email, and the email would begin, listen, I've never told this to anyone, but here's my experience. I Googled you, and or I Googled UFOs and owls because I had this strange experience, and your name came up, and uh, so I got to run this by you, and they tell me this really strange story. And since the book has come out, I'm receiving easily one a day. And um, you know, people will often say, you know, like people... Not often, but sometimes people will say like, oh, well, what's the proof in all this? How do you know it's real? What's the proof? And I'm like, look at my email inbox. That's There's the proof. And um, so once a day I'm getting, and I'm like not a subjective, I'm not an objective researcher. I'm completely subjective. Like I'm only, for the last couple of years, I've only been, I've got the narrowest little narrow of narrow of narrow avenues. I'm just interested in this owl stuff. And it's been remarkable. It's been so cool. And it doesn't, I mean, I'm basically like, I'm uh, the, the, the big fat book that I published. I don't know if you've, it was called The Messengers and it's almost 400 pages. There's really no UFO. There's maybe a couple paragraph here and there in this big fat book, but it's basically a UFO book with almost no UFOs in it. Um, and uh, I mean, I can, here, I'll tell you a story if you want. This is, this is, a, this is not, this is an upcoming book that I'm working on right now. Yeah, please do. Okay. So this is, so a woman. I mean, to tell the story correctly, like, uh, take an hour. So she goes to the dentist. She's partially, she's got Native American heritage. She's Canadian, so she's First, Na she's First Nation heritage. And um, and she's kind of a, I mean, she's a super sweet, soft-spoken, goofy woman. And, and 
And uh, so she's at the dentist, and she says, I don't want to have the anesthesia. And they're like, are you sure? It's, yeah, I'm just, just don't bother me. I'm going to just meditate here. I'm just going to go to a place. So she had this visionary experience. Wait, she turns down the anesthesia? She's already crazy. <laughs> yeah, well, well. so she's a, she, you talk to her. She's She's got stories that make you think she's crazy. But the reason I trust them is because so many other people that are contacting me, and myself included, have had similar types of experiences. So she, um, and she has this visionary experience of seeing this, this kind of um, tribal elder taking the pain. He's piercing his own chest with a, with a eagle talon claw. So he's taking the pain and, and she's, and then it goes and she starts seeing this dog and she finds out later it's the same dog that the anesthesiologist has. So she's seeing the anesthesiologist's dog or the, um, excuse me, the hygienist dog. And, but so that's the beginning of the day. That's how the day begins. And, and to me, this is important, right? She, she's asks for help and, and she's given this visionary experience and, so later on that same day, her her friend had recently died. So she's got a teepee. She lives out in the woods in Ontario, and she's got a teepee in the backyard. So she goes to her teepee, and she builds a fire, and she burns some sage, and she's pounding the drum. And and in the back of the teepee, this thing, the, the fabric of the teepee kind of presses in against her back, and she's like, oh, what is so, – so she's like, like – is that a like – her first thought was it's a bear. And she hears something out there. So she opens the teepee door and looks out, and there's five – Bigfoot, like Sasquatch, five Sasquatch, all standing like they're posing for a family photograph. Two in the back, three in the front, two elders and three kids. And you got enough for a basketball team. Almost. Yeah. Yeah. So she's, so she's, she's suddenly just like, you know, she freaks out. She goes back in the teepee. She pounds the drum really loud. She puts more, uh, you know, logs in the fire and then she gets the courage to look out and they're not there. So she runs back to the house. But as she's running, she sees the five Bigfoot are now moved away. They're a little bit down the hill, down by this water in the same weird, like family photo pose. So she runs into the house and her kids are, you know, she's like, oh my, she wants to tell her kids and her kids are like, mom, mom, this is like, cause it's crazy. There's like these things flying all around the house. She's like, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? And they say they, they're describing these like shadow beings that are zipping around the house in the corners, across the ceiling. And so she gets sage. She burns the sage. She goes through this little ritual. She's running around the house. She's already flustered, trying to, you know, uh, smudge the rooms. She's like, I got to tell my husband. So she goes to goes and runs to the garage where he has a woodworking shop. It's nighttime. So she runs and she goes and she pounds on the door. And she, it's the door's locked, the garage. And he's actually bolted himself in there. He's actually like taken a piece of wood and like, and like nailed the door shut. So it takes a little while. He has to undo the door and he's like, what is going on? He's like, there's these things peeking in the window and there's this black like things in the, in the garage here. And they're like, you know, they're like, I, they're in the corners and they're zipping across the ceilings. And she's like, oh my gosh, what's going on? So she, she still can't tell him about the Bigfoot that she just saw in the yard. So she's, so she says, okay, I'll listen. They, 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 so they open the garage door and they, and they stand in the, in the driveway and she's actually sort of a little off to herself in the driveway. And she says, she basically says, you know, what on earth is happening? Like, oh God, I need an answer. And at that moment, she looks above her and there's this giant triangle UFO hovering above her driveway. And she says, it's not really there. It's sort of like flitting out in and out of reality, like a, like a hologram. And, and now this, so this woman has also had a lot of owl experiences and she actually contacted me because of a bunch of owl, you know, like the owl stuff and she's got owl totem poles and she's got owl stories that would fall right into the kind of stories that I've been documenting. But so here's an account with a UFO that's not even a UFO because it's like, you know, flittering in and out of reality like a hologram and and it, and it doesn't make any sense at all. Right? So here's all these elements. And she's also had other UFO-type experiences in her life. Um, 
so the nuts and bolts researcher would hear the story. They would, they would, they would, I don't know what they would do. They would take the, they would take the report and crumple it up and throw it in the wastebasket, you know, or, and, but I'm saying that, no, there's something here. And then these, these elements, you know, when Robbie set it up perfectly, he said the poltergeist stuff, the cryptozoology stuff. So there's Bigfoot and there's, there's UFOs that aren't even physical seemingly. So I don't have a good answer to, to, so I'm not even sure what the question was initially, but the high strangeness aspect shows up. And, and on the simplest level, it shows up in the form of synchronicities, which are just like, people who have I've sat in UFO support groups and and I've kind of you know where people are like the abduction support groups and people sit in a circle like in a like a Alcoholics Anonymous meeting and and uh, you ask the question like has anyone here in this room had any like profound synchronicities and they just it's like it it's it's beyond I mean the people who are having the direct contact experience are experiencing these powerful coincidences these meaningful coincidences in a way and I suspect other seekers are. I suspect if you went to a mountaintop and meditated for, you know, you would you would open the same door, let's say, that would allow these synchronicities in, right? So the third eye, man. Well, people, yeah, people who have near death experiences, people who go through shamanic um, initiations have synchronicities. People who study yoga um, seriously have synchronicities. So, so it's there's no easy answer. So what it says to me, um, I actually a friend of mine said, um, and I, I, I talked with her about this and she, she was like, um, I, I had kind of, I was feeling all proud of myself and I was writing these essays and doing blog posts and stuff like that. And I said, you know, um, people with UFO experiences, they have synchronicities more often than the than Joe normal, Joe, you know, than Joe six pack. And she rolled her eyes and she said, anyone on a spiritual path will have more synchronicities. And I knew right away she was, she was, I was being sort of pompous and she was correct. And, but given that, and basically, from that conversation on, I have been framing, correctly or incorrectly, the UFO contact experience as being on a spiritual path. Um, and then, and from, and if that's the case, then then one would expect more synchronicities and more um, high strangeness. Well, and I'm taking a quote right from your essay here, Mike. And this whole thing, when you high strangeness, when I first read this, it struck me. Um, life, death, sex, dreams, spirituality, psychic visions, genetics, expanded consciousness, mind control, channeling, mysticism, miraculous healings, out-of-body experiences, hybrid children, personal transformation, powerful synchronicity, portals in the backyard, distorted time, telepathy, prophetic visions, trauma, ecstasy, and magic. It's as if our brains just aren't big enough to deal with the overload of so much weirdness. And I think what you described with that woman who, I mean, Christ Almighty, she's just having her like a tooth out or something like that. And Bigfoot and Fam shows up. There's <laughs> dark, you know, there's, there's dark shapes in the yard. Her husband, her kids, like triangle UFOs, like it all happens at once. And just a, a real quick point. When I think about, you know, Robbie, when you called it reframing the debate, and here's how reading your book kind of, uh, or reading the book you edited and Mike that you contributed to kind of kind of changed my thoughts on it. And this goes, and this is, gets into deep geek territory here. But in the 1990s, there was a role-playing game called Dark Conspiracy. And Dark Conspiracy was about, uh, it was set in the near future, like a almost apocalyptic world. But the idea was that aliens and demons and ghosts and Sasquatch and everything like that are all teaming up against humanity. You know, that, that was the idea. Of, 
And I had trouble with that game because to me, I was like, well, you can't put all these things together. Bigfoot is very different than aliens. It's very different than ghosts. They're all unique, compartmentalized. And I thought the game was a cool idea, but I was always like, well, it's never going to be that cool because it's not like Bigfoot and and (laughs) not like Bigfoot and a Martian would slap five when they took someone's soul with a demon. (laughs) Yeah, you couldn't wrap your head around it. But now, like, I can. Like, that, that idea of that this may not be uh, the physical experience we're all, we're all thinking it is. That when you say, you know, and uh, Mike Rutkowski talks about this in his essay, too, when he really talks about the, the movement of UFOs to a, a religious, spiritual experience versus what we would consider um, just, like, getting grabbed and put in a ship like you were going to a movie or something like that. It's it's a totally different kind of thing. And so um, I, th- I guess that's what it, it took the compartmentalizations away from me. Yeah, it's kind of like a personal or like a cultural evolution. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, the the, um, the reframing the debate thing is is uh, is open to, to wide interpretation. Um, and I think everyone will take away something different from this book. And the, the point of it was, was to present quite wildly differing perspectives back to back um, for at least half of the book so that the reader is never entirely sure, uh, is never entirely comfortable, is never, um, just, as, just as the reader is close to drawing a conclusion at the end of one essay, they're then forced to reject that conclusion by reading the next essay, which will totally conflict with what's come before. And then the next one will totally conflict with that. So that by the end of the book, I'd like the reader to be sort of lost uh, to the extent that they start asking new questions and finding a new direction. We don't provide conclusions. Um, you know, we, we, we recognize that, the, that this is a, a profound mystery and that we're trying to sort of break it out of the neat little box it's been packed into um, so that we can start to, to look at it with fresh eyes. Uh, a lot of the ideas that we present are not necessarily new, but they are they have historically been sidelined or forgotten or, you know, um, they've just not been easy to get your head around. And so they, they are re- rejected from the, from the popular ufological narrative. And we're just trying to present some new ideas, but also some some old and less popular ideas um, with fresh eyes and trying to bring them to a more pop, to, to bring them to the mainstream ufological audience so that people can have the chance to consider them or reconsider them. Well, and and I think that's a that's a powerful idea because, you know, it has been going on the same path for a long time. And, you know, uh, even, you know, think about Tom DeLonge's, you know, Secret Wars book, Secret with the K, of course, because it's cool, because it's cool. Don't get me started uh, on Tom DeLonge. Uh, right, <laughs> right, right. Uh, I mean, he, his ideas are, uh, but he, he's like going straight with the, pro, with the traditional program that we've thought um, of, of the narrative that we all have in our heads from, you know, decades of government conspiracy films and stuff like that. And, and so... You know, Mike, if, if you'll forgive me, I, I don't get that often to get to talk to somebody who's had experiences. So I'm really interested in the perspective and a little bit of what, uh, what brought you to this. And if you can summarize a little bit of your experiences for our listeners who might not be uh, familiar with you, 
I just want to get a little bit of, you know, what happened that got you into this? Um, because you don't come from, like, I come from the perspective of, and I know Allison does too, of people who just really love this stuff, like all interested and just always thought that UFOs are totally sweet, man. Um, but I know you come from the perspective of, of an experiencer. And so that's kind of, uh, I'm interested a little bit of what brought you here so our listeners can kind of get a little bit of, of, of your personal perspective like that. Oh, yeah, yeah. So you're asking me to sum up something monumental in, in, you know, uh, I'll do my best. No pressure. Yeah. So as a boy, so I'm 50, going to be 55 this summer as a boy, I was, uh, that would have been the early seventies. Um, I had a couple experiences, one seeing a UFO in the sky very clearly. And I drew it at the time. Um, and I still have that drawing. It's, it's in the, I think it's in the, no, it's not in the book. It's in the, it's in my website. But, um, and I, uh, and I also had a missing time event in, in when I was 1974, I would have been 12 years old. And, you know, I mean, it's, it's the story that if anyone's read this kind of stuff, you've just heard it over and over walking home from school I was with a friend. Uh, it was nighttime. It was after a f- high school football game. We get to a spot in my neighborhood. And I just remember like, I could, I could go right to that spot and put an X on the sidewalk. Um, the sky lit up bright orange. There's no craft. There's nothing, no craft to see. The sky lit up bright orange. Boom. Sky is orange. Boom. Goes right back to normal. Silent. Really jarring. Really unsettling and jarring. Um, I get home and my parents are like, what are you doing out so late? And I'm like, I'm not out late. Uh, and and then they point to the clock and it was 1130 and I, and I should have been home around 930. So, and at the time there was no such thing. I never knew about missing time. It would have been 20 years before I even heard that term. But did that particular, I mean, think haunt you? I mean, I think of the nights that I've been missing time. You know, and they're, you they're know not really weird. They're not paranormal at all, let's say. <laughs> yeah, no, no. You know what was really weird? It didn't really haunt me, you know? And it was, and then the, the UFO sighting didn't really haunt me. What it did is it really allowed me to, like, I remember being a little kid and, like, reading UFO reports and, like, watching In Search of with Leonard Nimoy and being able to say, like, well, you know, I saw something I can't explain. So why, you know, I, I just give people the benefit of the doubt if they tell the story. Obviously, you know, so, um, and I kind of, took it seriously there came a point when i was so so that you know so i started reading ufo books at a certain point probably when i was in my early 30s and these and i always knew these stories i always had these stories in the back of my mind like well, I, oh and then there's another account that i had when in my early 30s which is a little more heavy-handed i was i woke up in the middle of the night and sat up in bed and there was a bright light shining through the bedroom window and i looked outside and there were five skinny gray aliens backlit by this weird bright light and they were walking towards the house and i looked at this a scary thing right being creepy gray aliens skinny walking towards the house i mean like right out the window not off in the distance i mean they were like right out the window and my i was so weirdly calm and i heard this voice in my said that said a voice in my mind and I'm not sure whether it was my voice or, but it was this voice in my mind said, oh yes, they're here. Now is the time to put your head on the pillow and shut down. And that's exactly what I did. Um, did you smell sulfur? I did not smell sulfur. No, no. You need to get uh, uh, Joshua Cutchin on, on the show for that. Uh, uh, that's that's what I was wondering real quick because we, we know Josh, so we just want to... <laughs> oh, good. Okay. No, no. Yeah. So, so um, but uh, no sulfur, but I did... There's something called the Oz factor that shows up in all this, and I didn't really have a name for it at that point. But it was the event was dreamlike, though. Though that to call it a dream would be incorrect. 
Um, I dismissed it outright. I was not. Let's go the Oz factor real quick. Let's. There's a term coined by Jane Randalls, and it's a good sort of catch-all term for like this weirdness. Now, one of the so like when I was looking out the window at those beings, it was hyper clear. It was hyper vivid. It was electrically wide angle and 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 super quiet and like my mind itself had been like it felt like some knob had been turned down so all the normal chatter in my mind was just off and um you know i've I've asked people about this i asked people about this sensation you know do you ever have this weird sensation when i meet people with these contact experiences i seek them out i'm like talking to them all the time and there's this one woman in england and i asked her you know, because she's, you know, like, and she's, you know, she actually brought it up and she said, you know, you take two magnets and you got the, and they click together, right? And you pull them apart and you rotate them 90 degrees and you try to push them together and they repel each other instead of attract each other. And there's this kind of like, you try to push them together, but they won't quite go together. And there's kind of warbly kind of energy. There's nothing there. Like you'd look between the magnets, there's nothing there to see, but there's this palpable warbly energy that you can feel and sense. She said, you know what it was like being in the presence of those beings? It was like being in between the magnets. That warbly. And then I was, as soon as she said that, like, oh my God, I, I knew like she and I had experienced the same thing. So, um, uh, somewhere along the lines, I knew I was going to have to look into this stuff, right? I knew it's like, oh God, I've had these weird experiences, aliens in the yard. And what did you tell these things about though? Like, I, I just, oh, think- I told everyone, I just wasn't, I mean, I said like, Hey, I had this weird dream and like, Oh, you want to hear a funny story? And then you go, you know, go sit around the campfire. Oh, you want to hear a cool story? And like, Oh, I saw this UFO. And then I got home two hours late. Isn't that weird? And then, you know, I never, I never addressed it. I was capable of talking about it. I had no problem talking about it. I think I, I think it's amazing that you and it's wonderful that also you weren't scared that you you know you could be like hey guys dude five gray aliens I was in between magnets it was crazy it was awesome well you know? it, was, it was it was I mean it was disturbing the next morning and I and I pushed it away I dismissed it I wasn't going to go there I didn't look at see if there it was in the winter time I did not go out and see if there was footprints in the snow or anything like that I was not going to address this I was not in any place where I wanted to open that you know can of worms. When I was, this would have been 11 years ago, 2006, I went camping for one night. This is kind of a long story. I'll make it really fast. And I was with a friend and sun was setting and these three owls were flying above us. It was right when she was talking about something. And I remember right when these owls showed up, she was talking about something. And these three owls showed up and they flew around us and they landed on branches near us and they hung out with us. And and then literally we laid down under the stars and, and these owls would like fly right above our face, but it was completely silent. So you'd be laying there and the, the stars would be blotted out for just one second. These owls were swooping down over our faces. A couple of days later, we went out again. We went camping again. This is, I was living in near Grand Teton National Park at the time, out in, not on the border of Wyoming. And um, same woman, different part of the mountains, sun setting, three owls. This time they were like crazy close. This time they were like landing like like almost touchable, like right near our feet. And both times, now I didn't talk about this at the time and I got all wiggy about owls and I got all like, Oh, what's, uh, what's the totem energy? What's the, what's the spiritual meeting? What's the, you know, who do I talk to? You know, where do I consult a shaman? And I just went through, but I'll tell you at the time I did not say this, but I'm saying it now at the time I saw those owls, there was a great big boom, clear voice in my mind that says, this has something to do with the UFOs. And, and I, and I started looking in, as I said, you know, like I was going to look into it someday 
And then I was like, okay, I'm pushed off the cliff. I'm looking into it. And the act of looking into it just unleashed the synchronicities that, I mean, I got, I got years of blogging online of these crazy stories that, that, I mean, you don't have, I mean, whatever we'd, we'd go way into the night for me to keep talking, but, sure. um, and what, so here's a weird little detail. So I said, this woman, her name is Kristen. Um, she, she was talking about something the very first night when we saw those first novels, I actually wrote about it, put it online and, and then later got back to her. I said, you know, I can't remember. I remember she was talking about something. So I said, she had moved out of the valley where I was living and I called her up and she, and I said, what were you talking about? The first night when we saw that first set of owls and she said, oh, I remember exactly what I was talking about. I was giving my deepest, most heartfelt definition of what God means to me. So that this is like, this takes this already powerful experience and just, I mean, that, that one detail, just like, oh my God, like, so, and this feels like it was orchestrated by I'm going to say, you know, it feels like, I don't have any proof, it feels like it was orchestrated by the UFO entities for for me to get pushed off the cliff to start looking into this stuff and start digging into my own story. And um, and because of that experience, everyone I talk to now, and I feel like I'm a full-time researcher, I talk to people all the time, that's all I do, I get on the phone, I talk to people, I email them a thousand emails a day, it feels like about this stuff, and I ask the question, have you ever had any odd experiences with owls? And it's not 100% of the people with UFO experiences, but it's enough that there's a clear pattern, and I am wrestling with what it might mean. And I don't have a good answer. So if you want a conclusion, I don't have one. I can give you sort of some foggy half-conclusions. I'd be more worried if you had a conclusion than anything else. Well, here's my conclusion. This is about, this is, I'm gonna, I'll be concrete in this. Something is going on. And beyond that, I, I can't say anything more. I, I just want to say, if I, if I could, uh, like in, in, terms of, um, in terms of Mike's contribution to to this volume here um mike's is is quite a standout essay in in the piece because his is one of only maybe two or three essays in the book um which is written from the perspective of an experiencer from a very subjective perspective um and i say that his book is this his uh, essay is a deeply personal meditation on his own experiences with ufos and I, i think correct me if i'm wrong here but what you consider to be some form loosely speaking of, of, of non-human intelligence perhaps or you know extra human intelligence um and that potentially extraterrestrial potentially something closer to home who knows but those of a traditionally skeptical bent i, I say may be inclined to sort of skip mike's essay I, and i encourage them not to do that because i say that mike's value in this volume is that he is unusually self-aware and self-analytical in the presentation of his experiences and he is uh, you know, he's certain that he's interacted with, with something beyond the norm, but unusually for an experience, I think it's fair to say, Mike steadfastly refuses to reach solid conclusions there as to the ultimate nature and purpose of, of these phenomena. And so so I think that that's, you know, and, and what's really valuable is if, if more experiences could adopt Mike's approach here, um, then I think some bridges could be built between opposing ends of the UFO research camp between the so-called skeptics and, and believers. Well, and, and I think also uh, the abductees versus contactees um, part that that gets uh, talked about a couple of times in the um, in the book uh, as almost the difference in the kind of experiences that people have, like what you were getting at with that. I think it, it leads into. You know the, the the different kinds of experiences have, and then how they try to uh, 
how they try to explain it. And that abductees, some, a lot of times, like in the book, talks a little bit about abductees often don't, you know, want to talk about things uh, versus contactees who, who seem to, versus experiencers who seem, some people like talking about it, some people, uh, you know, don't like talking about it. And, uh, you know, so, so Mike, where would you put yourself on that particular spectrum? Because it, it doesn't sound like, uh, you know, except maybe the five gray aliens were like, you know, come on up to the ship, Whitley's waiting, and uh, he'll, he'll let you know all about what's going to happen when you get in. Um, like, what's, uh, uh, you know, what, where would you put yourself on that spectrum? Well, it's interesting. So I've, I've attempted hypnotic regression a few times. It's a can of worms. And I was doing it because I was really desperate. I need, I was just all shook up. I feel like I'm, honestly, you know, that book took about three or four years, kind of four years to write. I mean, a lot, some of it was blog stuff and that I just folded into the, so, and, and, uh, it was therapy. Like, I feel like better now that the book is done. Like, I feel like, I feel like it was like, I purged something and, and got it out there and kind of, you know, what's the term where I, you know, where I, where I, it was, so it was my own personal therapy. And, but like, I don't have the memories of like, being on board a craft, you know, being led down the hall into the table or something like that. I don't have those memories. They might be buried. I have no idea. I've certainly said some, I have a, I mean, I like I've had some dreams that kind of imply that, and those are kind of fuzzy and I kind of, you know, I give them stock, but not too much stock, but I can say that I had, a, you know, like, you know, if you have a, um, you're making a puzzle, right. And you got all the puzzle pieces out and some of the puzzle pieces are lost. You know, you don't have them. They're gone. You'll never find him, but you put the puzzle together on the table and you, you stand back and you go, well, it's a boat out on a lake. It's totally clear. I can see it's a boat on a lake. I mean, obviously those puzzle pieces are missing, but I can see the picture. And I'm at that point now where I'm, I'm like, well, some of the puzzle pieces are missing, but I feel very strongly to say that I am, and I use the term abductee because it's the word we were stuck with. Um, I blur all those contactee and experiencers. They're all the same word for me in a sense, but so I feel like I've had the direct contact experience and, and I'm acting like it, you know, like, I mean, you were saying like, Oh, some people don't want to talk about it. It's hard to shut me up about it is the problem. So, uh, so, so yeah, so I, I, and I, and in a way I said it before earlier, where like, there's a great big fat UFO book without any UFOs in it. There's a few, but not many. Uh, and then what it is, is it's all this other outlying stuff, this weird stuff that's fascinates me. I mean, I, it's like, it's kind of boring actually after a while, like reading UFO reports and hearing people tell their stories like, oh, you know, I parked the car and there it was and I got the binoculars out and it was shiny. And then I watched it for a little while and I said, can you move right? And moved right. And then it, you know, and then it flew off. And I mean, I've heard those stories so many times and I'm, they're important and all, but I don't know. It just feels like that's not what the, we, you know, we have those, we have file cabinets full of those. We have like, you know, there's websites just cataloging and archiving those stuff. So let's stop the interview right there. Okay. Now, now here's why I wanted to do that. So, usually our shows go about an hour. Yeah, give or take. And we were, and oh, oh, Robbie also made sure he says like he said, he said say hi to Wendy for me. Oh, that's so nice. He did say that, hi, Robbie, yesterday. <laughs> um, but th- we were just having such a good conversation. I didn't want it to end in an hour, and then I didn't think we should edit out really anything from it. Oh, I love it when that happens. When <laughs> the content is so good that you just don't want to cut it out. Right. And so I kind of wanted to turn this particular conversation into two different episodes because I think we kind of shift gears subject-wise. And so we'll worry about that other, the new subject next week. But this week, I kind of wanted to get into and just really focus on the topic of 
high strangeness,、mm. which it does sound like a Cheech and Chong movie. <laughs> right, I, I was thinking exactly that pretty much when you, when you first <laughs> brought it up to me. Cheech and Chong in high strangeness. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs>、um, but and we obviously we explained it very much in the interview. But just that idea that well, once you have a UFO experience, now you're open to well dozens. Of ex, you know different kinds of experiences from Bigfoot、yeah. to poltergeist to go, like you start seeing things. It's like it opens up a gate. Yeah, and you know, I was thinking about this one. Have you ever had? Maybe I know you're a meditator too. Yes. And、uh, I'm I'm a meditator, and it hasn't been as much spiritual meditation as of late. But when, when okay, I, when I first got into meditation, you know, we'd listen to like manifestation meditations,、yeah. like with Doctor Wayne, our buddy Doctor Wayne, Wayne Dyer, Dyer my favorite. <laughs> right, you really love Doctor Wayne Dyer. He just had this calming, nice voice. Yeah. Plus, he was a balding guy with a mustache, so he kind of looked like my father. Um. <laughs> and and so I was like, but you know, I think one of the first things that kind of changed my mind about. Materialism, and I don't mean like materialism, like Madonna. We are living in a material world, and I, I, I still, I still love、oh, ma- great song. Material Girl is, you know, top one of her top three for me. Anyway, we're not talking about Madonna because she doesn't have any UFO experiences yet <laughs> that、uh, we know of, right? Even though those arms, like a sixty-year-old woman to have arms like that, I think she's an alien. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty nice. <laughs> yeah, she's got great arms. So, okay. But I'd meditate, and I'd start noticing more coincidences, coincidences and synchronicities in my life.、Mm, the th- okay. The things that I would think about in meditation, and it wasn't like I wouldn't meditate on like a hundred thousand dollars or something like that. Like meditate on would, <laughs> picturing I, dollar bills. Yeah, I, I'd find small things that I wanted to create for the day or something, and you know, you meditate on a certain thing, and then a lot of times those things would happen. And I'm not saying that in the magical meditation. I'm just saying more synchronicities open themselves up to me. Sure. Okay. I, I found more connections between people that I did not learn before, and、mm. they seem to almost magically appear. It's fun when that happens, isn't it? Yeah. And have you found that at all in your meditation at all? I have actually. Yeah, I've had some some good experiences like that. Now, of course, the cynical, right? Of course, what <laughs> scientific part of me always says, well. It's your mind. Your mind is the master of recognizing patterns and things. Exactly, it's、so、constantly looking for patterns. If you put your、patterns. focus on one thing, then it knows to be looking for that. You know, kind of in the background while everything else is going on. So, I guess I chalk it up to that. But even so, hey, it works. It's you're training、right. your mind to do something cool. It even if you're just subconsciously opening yourself up to seeing more patterns and 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 seeing things. I just I really found that trying to you know. Think about small good things happening during the day, or things that you wanted to、mm-hmm. see in your life and stuff, and all of a sudden they'd show up. And sometimes they'd show up in exactly the way you envisioned it in your head. <laughs> it、cool. just—it was weird, and that to me changed a little bit of my materialist mindset.、Oh, okay. Okay. And what do I mean by that? And I'm, don't worry, I'll get back to high strangeness. Just in one second, I will get、We're、back to, to high, a different topic. We'll、here. get back to high strangeness, and I know you guys just listen to,、um, you know, Robbie and Mike. Uh, brilliantly talk about this, and now I'm giving you the the dumbed down cliff notes. But opening the idea of my mind to it, because to me I was always like, well, even if psychic powers exist, even if 
you know, ghosts, any of this stuff exists, it has to be on that kind of plane where there has to be some physical element to it that we understand. There, uh, yeah. there has to be a scientific explanation that we just don't know about yet. You know, it's not really paranormal. It's not supernatural. It's just a level of nature we can't understand. Kind of like when people didn't, they couldn't see germs. Yeah. So, so they didn't know what germs were. We don't have something in human terms to describe it yet or to explain it. Right. We just but don't. it could be there. It, the idea is that it can be measured. We just don't know how to. Right. Okay. And so when I started seeing weird synchronicities and coincidences and all that stuff, though, regularly, I just started to think like, well, maybe there's more to it. Uh-huh. Maybe there's more to it than my materialist mind. Uh, and I allowed myself open to the possibility of a world beyond just the material. And this is not, I mean, this is like one, this is like five years ago. You know, this is not yeah. even a long time. This is just in my recent history. And so that's where we're getting at with this, these UFO experiences. So, while we think of UFOs, like, you know, we go visit Florida or wherever, I mean, wherever you go on vacation. Like, I went to go to New Orleans a month ago. And so, I go to New Orleans and I'm in a car. And so, we think it's the aliens from Alpha Centauri or whatever coming to Earth like we go to Miami (laughs) or something. Mm -hmm. And it's just they're people from another planet and they're just hanging out and maybe they bring anal probes. Maybe they bring (laughs) anal probes. Maybe they don't. Um, like depending if it's spring break for them or not, uh, but (laughs) like, so that's, I mean, that's the whole point, but the idea is maybe it's just not as explainable as that. Like maybe it's not aliens. Maybe it's something beyond, you know, the extraterrestrial hypothesis, which is, you know, so famously called it just the, the idea that aliens might not be aliens, that it might be some other kind of thing related to angels, related to poltergeists, related to all, like maybe this, there's this other world. We all just the unexplainables. <laughs> yeah. And it, it doesn't mean they're all together in the same room or something like that, but it just means that maybe they're not as different from each other as we mm. thought. Maybe the phenomena are not as different from each other as we thought. Maybe Bigfoot is a ghost. <laughs> Whoa. yeah man now that is now you talk like that for a while and you're really into high strangeness <laughs> well but it is thought provoking yeah that concept and so this whole kind of thing really did open my mind to it and robbie's book did open to it and that's why i say reframing the debate like we've had the same thing for a long time and guys like me have really compartmentalized uh our beliefs and so opening it up to being like okay well, maybe Bigfoot and UFOs are can go hand in hand. How? I don't know yet. But I would consider them both very material kind of phenomena because the idea is, yeah, Bigfoot's out there, but he's just a, it's just an ape we haven't discovered. You know, it's, mm-hmm, it's a Neanderthal. Right. <laughs> it's just an ape we haven't discovered. Just like aliens are just, they're just people in spaceships coming to visit like when we go to Miami. And what makes me think extra about this, and especially because the conversation with Mike Cleland, is that Mike really gets into uh, owls. Oh, okay. Okay. Uh, you know, and uh, he's really into, uh, I mean, owls as these strange messengers of high strangeness. And that's straight out of Twin Peaks. I mean, not that he... I'm not, Absolutely. I'm, I'm we talked about he, that. He did. <laughs> Quite a bit. Right. The owls are not what they seem. Yes. And um, I really enjoyed uh, talking to him about his own stories of the how owls kind of were harbingers of strange missing time 
and high strangeness experiences in his own life. So I was like, damn, man, that's, that's Twin Peaks right there. And I just found a story, another high strangeness kind of thing. Well, I don't know how... But this reminded me of Twin Peaks, too. One of the themes of Twin Peaks is doppelgangers, right? Yes. So there's a, like there's a bad Cooper and there's a good Cooper kind of thing. Right. And, well, this story just came out this week, okay? After finding his doppelganger, a Kansas City man is freed from prison. This is the, this is the Kansas City star. Oh, man. In prison for a crime he adamantly died committing, Richard Anthony Jones repeatedly heard from others that there was another prisoner who looked just like him. What? Not only were they doppelgangers, but Jones was told that he and the other man shared the same first name. That's really odd. And so this guy had been claiming innocence, but everybody in prison claims innocence, right? Everybody's like, oh, yeah, dude, I'm innocent. But what is that? In <laughs> he wants the, to be there. The Shawshank Redemption, Morgan Freeman's character says, I'm the only guilty man in Shawshank. <laughs> but the fact is is that when they started looking into it, they discovered that, yeah, there is a guy that looks exactly like him. These two oh, guys, and, and they show the picture on the website, and I'll put this in the, in the show notes, but they look exactly like each other. This guy was a criminal, and he also um, he lived closer to where this crime happened, an aggravated mm. robbery uh, in 1999. And this dude, this innocent guy, has been in prison for 17 years. Wow. 17 years of That's his life. terrible. Probably a quarter of his life gone, if not more. A quarter of his life gone. And so the judge found, said, like, well, there's enough reasonable doubt now that we know that there is someone who looks exactly like you, who has your first name, that <sighs> is a criminal. And then when they showed pictures of both of the people to the original witnesses, the original witnesses were like, uh, I don't know which one's which. I can't tell which one's which. Oh, my God. So, you know, I, I was just thinking about strangeness and synchronicities and, and things. And so when I was thinking about our talk yesterday, the first thing that struck me was, oh, I want to mention the owls and I want to talk about with Wendy a little bit about the Twin Peaks thing. And then when I'm doing my usual roundup of, uh, of weird stuff that I look at, the doppelganger story is the first one that pops in. Wow. And I'm like, right. So that's more like high strangeness, yeah. like the idea of... Obviously, there's a scientific explanation because it says everybody on Earth has a you know has someone that looks exactly like you, uh, Wendy. We know that you there's someone who looks exactly like you in uh, in like a picture frame. Yeah, we, we talked about this before. Yeah, right. And we know there's somebody who looks exactly like me because everybody's seen a Mel Gibson film. Uh... And right, but that's the whole thing. Is that you know the idea of high strangeness? I just thought it was a lot of fun and it. I'm going to unpack it now um, whenever I'm looking at a UFO story into how it's not just lights in the sky, but how those lights in the sky could lead to maybe opening your mind uh, to a whole flurry of phenomena that we don't understand. All right. Well, I like that. That's always fun to have yeah. a new perspective to look at things from. And next week in the second half of the conversation, we're going to revisit a couple of things that we've talked about on this podcast before, and that's uh, the Roswell slides because that's covered in depth. Uh, the debunking of the Roswell slides is covered in depth in the, the the reframing the debate book, as well as disclosure. Which okay, UFO disclosure. When is the government going to do it? Well, that's the thing we're going to talk about in the second <laughs> half. But we just want to give you guys a chance to uh, to think about high strangeness, finding synchronicities and stuff like that in your own life and everything. And then next week we're going to move on to UFOs reframing the debate part two. Now we're thinking about songs to relate. 
to how you take something like ufology and uh, you try to move it from a strictly materialist perspective. I mean, because there's a material that there are the people who think like it's just aliens and stuff, and then there's the people like Heaven's Gate, yeah. that, you know, that think that's like alien Jesus is coming for him or whatever. The Space Brothers, spiritual explanation, yeah. And how you move that debate from where where it is to a place where we can start exploring these new avenues and everything. Um, to me, it seemed like a, a Sisyphean task. <laughs> so it's it's extremely difficult because number one we're talking about something um where the evidence is few and far between right we have stories we have experiences we have you know people we can talk to but you can't just go talk to an alien and get some kind of objective right. measure interview him <laughs> right so uh, that's why we're thinking the the perfect song for this one is a song off our album loser of the year um, that's no judgment of the of the topic or our guests here, guys. But the name of the album is Loser of the Year. And uh, this song about the mythological character of Sisyphus, who is eternally damned to roll a boulder up a hill, and then it falls back down, and then he's got to roll it back up, and then it falls back down, he's got to roll it back up. Just reminded me a little bit of what Robbie's trying to do with this book. It's a very difficult task. We wish him luck. Now let's listen to Sisyphus's rock. Let's hear some fists and this rock and roll out of love up on Grey Hill Hoping for a chance to reach the summit And as the gods of thunder pour I want to let you in the sky But you are frozen, terrified and weakened But I know the reasons for your actions I know your answer for your tears But who will ever be my bride Don't you ever fear when you felt me? You 
Thank you for listening to today's episode. You can find us online at othersidepodcast.com. Until next time, see you on the other side. Wendy, you know it's not strange? What's not strange? Nothing. Uh, <laughs> no, what's not strange is how awesome our Patreons are. Oh, and it's been such an exciting week. Yes. We have new people in our community, and we're so excited to welcome them. So welcome, friends. Uh, number one, Lisa from Madison. Lisa, who we love. Thank you for joining this, uh, the Sunspot and see you on the other side, Patreon community. Thank you, Lisa. And you are going to join us for our next hangout. where we You better. We drink wine. We talk high strangeness. We get into trouble. <laughs> and uh, that's, right. that's coming up at the end of the month. That's going to be the last Thursday in June, which is June 29th. You'll be seeing yes. us there. So, and who is our other uh, beloved new patron, Wendy? Our other newest beloved patron is CE. CE. Thank you so much for joining, CE. We're happy to have you in the community. Thank you guys very much for becoming part of our awesome community. And we would be remiss if we did not thank Dr. Ned. Yes, Ned. Dr. Ned, uh, patron. Uh, who is at the level where he gets mentioned and thanked in every single episode of the See You on the Other Side podcast. Ned, thank you so much. Uh, your support really helps us make the show better. Thank you, Ned. So we really appreciate it. And if you'd like to join that community, how can they do that, Mike? The place to go is othersidepodcast.com <laughs> slash donate. Next week, part two of UFOs Reframe the Debate. We'll see you on the other side. Five gray aliens. I was in between magnets. It was crazy. It was awesome. <laughs>